Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? You know what? Forget that. We don't have any time to hear how you're doing. Enough of our usual chit-chat because we have things to get to, Sam. We do. Folks, welcome to episode 103 of Baltimoreans, and we are going to talk to you tonight about the trading deadline. Now, I just want to say very quickly, I want to remind all of you, and actually what I really want to do is confess something. I don't think I really knew what the trading deadline was <laughs> until 2012. Oh, yeah? When it mattered for the Orioles for the first time in my adult life. Right. It, I, I, uh, I always assumed that the trading deadline was when any of our maybe above 28-year-olds would leave the team <laughs> to go pursue fame and fortune on playoff-bound squads, usually as a middle reliever. Yeah. And let's just remember all of those years from 1998 until 2011 when the trade deadline meant nothing to us because not only were we not trading to acquire talent for the stretch run we didn't have the talent to trade to other teams to get prospects back in return we weren't even really competitive we weren't we weren't useful sellers we couldn't even trade aubrey huff Oof. when he was putting up mvp caliber numbers for us can i say one thing about aubrey huff you can he runs an excellent twitter account he does he's real mad at yasiel puig <laughs> no one knows why thinks the man's a showboat <laughs> And when called out on it, his response was basically scoreboard, which <laughs> doesn't make any doesn't make sense a whole lot of sense. I guess the Giants did win the World Series when you played Aubrey Huff, but the Dodgers are probably going to win it this year. That's true. That's true. There's a prediction. Well, here we are, uh, Baltimoreans. We, we're going to get into a lot of trade deadline stuff. It's going to get gritty. I but, would say grit your teeth and and get ready for a long, difficult episode. <laughs> but before we do that. I want to give you all a little bit of context, because the way things are shaping up, episode 103 has a very real chance to be our last episode. Here's why. Things are getting really grim out there in the world, Baltimoreans, and there are so many signs of trouble that I've had trouble keeping track of them all. Warning, we're going to need to use the Hootenanny Studios bleep machine on this one, so, you know, strap in. Because I'm not just talking about the fact that entering play this evening, the Orioles are three games up on the American League East field in the end of July, which is weird. I'm not just talking about the clear apocalyptic ramifications of a West Coast trip that, well, frankly, failed to be even a little bit apocalyptic, and in fact went quite well. And I'm not even talking about Gaza or the Ukraine or airplanes falling out of the sky, and I'm not talking about the increasing signs of global warming or skyrocketing inequality. These are all known quantities, Baltimoreans, things that we've come to expect might presage the apocalypse. But to really know what's going on, you've got to have your shit tuned into the real shit. You know what I'm saying? We need to go a little bit deeper. Because since we've last talked, some really weird stuff has been going down. Some hang on to your butt, get the kids and the livestock into the storm shelter because we're going to have a real blow type of sh**. For example, there was a Russian satellite filled with sex-crazed geckos that was temporarily out of touch with Earth earlier this week. 
While the lizard love ship has begun responding signals again, Lord only knows what strangeness those perverts got up to in orbit. If that's not some sixth seal stuff, I don't know what is. And it gets even weirder, Sam. This has been a really weird week. I'm gonna read you five names. Are you ready? I'm not sure that you are, because the five names are Kuroda, Phelps, McCarthy, Capuano, and Green! Somehow, those five clown shoes motherfuckers have won seven of their last ten games and have gone 13 and seven over their last 20. Did you hear those names, Sam? What in the sh are we supposed to do with that sort of information? It makes me feel as though I should be buying plywood and nailing it haphazardly over all of my windows. And what are we supposed to do with the knowledge that someone just released a chair that looks, feels, and smells like you're lounging in the fleshy, comforting folds of a man's belly. Some jerk named Barker spent two years perfecting the disturbingly realistic texture and color, which appears, by the way, to be pink and lightly mottled, and scent, which comes from the aftershave of the anonymous man, whose form and pheromones the chair is modeled on. Form and pheromones, Baltimoreans. Thankfully, it's just a damn chair, because if it were moving, I would be seriously concerned that if I caught a glimpse out of the corner of my eye, I might mistake it for a pale horse. Meanwhile, and this is something that should have every single one of you crouching at the back of your closet with your binky and a steaming cup of Ovaltine, Houston is not the worst team in Texas. Good gracious. If that doesn't chill you to your very core, I'm telling you all, the apocalypse is nigh, and I, for one, am going to go hide under my bed for a week and hope some version of sanity has returned before we all go over the edge. Difficult, sobering facts to ponder. It's a difficult week. It, We're in a difficult time. It really is. It, you know, it's, it's the midpoint of the summer. Things are as hot as they have been. Disturbing truths are beginning to drip their disturbing sweat onto us. All we can do is, much like the Baltimore Orioles on their recent West Coast swing, attempt to keep our heads above water. That's all we can do. And, and let's begin there, shall we? Let's talk about the Orioles' recent West Coast swing. Uh, it's a road trip that Alan and I were, were referring to, I think, along with many of you, as the West Coast jaunt of doom. <laughs> That's definitely an accurate assessment. Uh, we, we, we matched up against two of the best records in the American League um, and a Seattle team which had the best staff ERA of anyone in the American League. And of the ten games against these teams... We won six of them. And frankly, we're one fuck you Josh Donaldson away from winning seven. It's true. It is true. So this is, this is, I think we can all agree, a much better outcome than any of us were hoping for. And as we look today at the baseball prospectus playoff odds calculator, yes, the Orioles playoff odds, which last week stood at 53%, have skyrocketed to 707 you heard that right, ladies and gentlemen. The Baltimore Orioles have a 70.7 chance of making the playoffs. 
That seems uh, dramatically high. <laughs> well, I if if it wasn't so dramatic, we it wouldn't be fodder for a podcast talking point. That's true. But here we That's are. That's true. Here we are, and and because we are on a podcast, I feel like we are forced to talk about it. Well, let's let's dish. When you look at this West Coast trip, Smith, what encouraging trends did you see that allowed us to do as well as we did? Here's a, here's a fact for you. Wei and Chen threw eight innings in one game. <laughs> uh, the Wei Yin Chen? <laughs> the Wei Yin Chen. Wei Yin, isn't his middle name Taiwanese for five innings plus? <laughs> I think his middle name we learned wasn't, wasn't it something about the mountain? Oh, that's true. Oh, uh, that's uh, what Wei Yin means. I oh, think. Wei Yin, right? Okay, but the but the the reality is, Sam, that the sixth inning has historically been an inscalable mountain <laughs> an for inscalable him. mountain for the man. And the fact is that he managed to not only get over that mountain, but then scale the next two, and somehow uh, deliver beyond a quality start, a dominating performance against a very good offense. We also saw excellent performances from Miguel Gonzalez. We saw another excellent performance from Kevin Gosman, who brushed off his poor start against the Athletics like it wasn't even a thing. Yep, yep. We saw excellent work from Bud Norris. We saw excellent work from Chris Tillman. And we still have not seen, and he appears to actually be a little bit injured, Ubaldo Jimenez. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Orioles have gone on this recent run of success uh, and really established themselves atop the American League East during the time that precisely coincides with Ubaldo Jimenez not being in the rotation. Because if you look at that road trip, Sam, uh, the if, and if you discount the offensive explosion we had against um, former Oriole Jason Hamels in Game 2 against Oakland. Which was fun. That was fun. We really didn't score very many runs at all. Oh, we not at all. We hit below 200 as a team. And we still managed to go six and four. Well, this is the thing, Smith. I think the story of the Orioles' triumph on the West Coast road trip of doom, excuse me, jaunt of doom, <laughs> is starting pitching. Yep. We, and we have been saying this on the show for several weeks, but it bears repeating. Since June 1st, the Orioles' team ERA is almost under three in terms of starting pitching. So and probably a, as a staff. So here's a question. Um, with a, a fairly solid bullpen and a uh, – actually, forget that. A, a very good bullpen um, and a starting rotation that suddenly appears able to go eight innings and give up one or two runs. Um, obviously, we don't expect that every time out. But we do seem to be establishing a pattern of pretty decent quality starts for most of our guys. What do you do with Ubaldo Jimenez? Do you bring him back? Or do you put him in the bullpen? Is Buck crazy enough to say, I know we're paying this guy $50 million a year, but I like our guys that are currently pitching, and just let it ride? I think I think Buck is absolutely crazy enough to do that, but I don't think it will be as obvious as all that. Okay. I think it will be a situation where through the uh, schedule juggling, option using, and extra day of rest giving, minor injury discovering, uh, tricks and ploys that he always does, he will find a way to limit Ubaldo's exposure. And really do a six-man rotation. We've got, in August, six games against AL Central teams, against whom Ubaldo has historically pitched very well. Uh, those are against the, the Indians and the White Sox. Sure. So you're saying that in some way, shape, or form, Ubaldo Jimenez becomes the starter equivalent of the mop-up guy. 
I think so. I think that's what Buck's going to do. I think he's going to find a way to continue to make Ubaldo Jimenez feel like he's a starter, but avoid overexposing him to the league. And does that mean that when we, if if and when this 70% proves to be an accurate number and we get into the playoffs, does that mean you leave him off your first round roster? Uh, well, I mean, the the other... The, or is that a ridiculous, ridiculously premature question to even to even be asking? <laughs> I think it's too early to ask that question. Okay. But I also think the, the unbarked dog in this conversation is the thing that people can... <laughs> yes, I'm allowed to say the unbarked dog in this conversation. Okay. The, uh, the, you should have seen the look Alan Smith gave me, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It said, cruelty to animals. <laughs> No, it's just confusion. That's all it was. <laughs> said you, you Michael Vick bastard. A <laughs> uh, little football reference from Sam Dingman. Boom. Okay. Uh, I think um, the unbarked dog in this conversation is that people continue to point out that if you look at Ubaldo's peripheral numbers, they are not terrible. Okay. And in the instances this year, and I know this is this is getting really into wishful thinking territory, but in the instances this year where he has been able to put it all together, he has been the guy that we needed him to be. Okay. Um, now, the fact that he... Cherry-picking numbers a little bit. Cherry-picking okay. numbers. Uh, someone pointed out the other day that um, in night games uh, and when Todd Hundley is catching... Oh, no, excuse <laughs> me. When Caleb Joseph is catching, his ERA is under two. Nick Hundley is currently the other option, just for the record. What did I say? Todd. K- Todd Hundley? Yeah. Ah, well, I'm revealing your, my age. Your boy, Todd. Todd. Who remembers Todd Hundley? <laughs> At B-Morons Show on Twitter. Fans. Anyway, um, so obviously the, the ability is there to be sussed out under ideal circumstances. Now, so, and I think that's why Buck is going to continue to say to himself, if I can find a start against a weak team against whom Ubaldo matches up well and give the other guys in the rotation who are pitching well consistently a day off without throwing off their routine too much, I'm going to take it and continue to safeguard Ubaldo's ego, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I think that that in combination with the fact that Ubaldo has showed flashes of excellence this season, I'm not overly concerned. Um, Here are the things that are wild cards for me. One, uh, Ubaldo's uh, struggles this year, and a lot of people feel like in general, have come from the fact that he has such a ridiculous delivery and he pushes off of his ankle, and his ankle is what has been injured. Um, and, or, and he lands weirdly on his ankle. On his ankle so that's so he may be out for a bit. Isn't going to help him either. Um, and, uh, and this is maybe a segue into our next talking point, we, are t- we appear to be talking somewhat seriously about acquiring another starting pitcher. Yeah. And if that happens, someone, I mean, already someone probably has their position in the rotation on the ropes. So what happens if we trade for a starting pitcher? Uh, then I think you really have to take a long, cold look at the situation and figure out who your best five are. Ubaldo's not on that list. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm okay with him being on the way out so we have a lot as you just mentioned there are a lot of arms uh that are suddenly being bandied about on the trade market some of which may actually still be available after um the official trade deadline this thursday so if we don't go out and get a lester or a price it looks like um i believe hamels and lee are both people who may make it through waivers and be claimable later on in the season but 
of of the list of suddenly available names, uh, do you think that we should go after one in particular? Um, and do you think that David Price is currently on the market, or is Tampa Bay going to hang on to him and see if they can continue to put together this run? Well, Tampa Bay uh, can't, I don't think, win this division. I, I don't think it's there. I just don't think... Too many teams to pass? Too many teams to pass, too much superior offense brought to bear against them, mm. and uh, not enough pitching once you get past... David Price. Now, right. Jake or or Doozy? Odorizzi? Odorizzi. 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 Uh, which is uh, also the name of a product you can put in your shoes to defeat <laughs> smell. Um, the the thing about the Rays is, uh, well, one, the road to prognostication heaven is littered with people who counted the Rays out <laughs> prematurely. So let's say that right there. Too true. Um, David Price is an absolute monster. Yep. They have Hellickson back. Odorizzi has been pitching very well. In his last 14 starts, I saw something today. His ERA is under three uh-huh. uh, across a very significant number of innings. On the flip side, Longoria hasn't hit all season. True. Zobrist has not hit as well as he has in the past all season. True. Uh, Loney has been solid but not spectacular. Okay. And that's pretty much your offense. Yeah. And... You're talking about a Baltimore team that hits an astounding number of home runs. You're talking about a Toronto team that hits an astounding number of home runs and has overall probably a more versatile offense. You're talking about uh, a Baltimore team that has a lockdown closer. You're talking about a Toronto team that uh, has a very solid pitching staff. And Tampa Bay cannot claim any of those things. And and they're already in a very deep hole. And the Yankees refuse to be bad at baseball. <laughs> refuse. <laughs> Categorically refuse. Now, I don't think it's unreasonable that the Tampa Bay Rays could catch and pass the Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. Because I think that... For the last wild card spot? For the last wild card spot. I, I think that they're not going to win the division. Uh, I think that you're right that there are just too many teams between there and... But they're only three games out of the playoffs right now. Right now, if the season ended today, the wild cards would go to the Angels and the Blue Jays. The Yankees are one game back. Seattle's one and a half back. Kansas City, Cleveland... So Tampa Bay, I'm sorry, is four games out of the wild card. By no means out of it. By no means out of it. Still a lot of teams to pass. I mean, you have to you have to expect that not all of those teams would will, will oblige them by just sort of fading into nothingness. It's true. However, the the Rays and Jonah Carey had a post about this today, about this phenomenon called cluster luck, which I don't understand the mathematics behind enough to really comment on in an intelligent way. Uh, but what? <laughs> but I, that's not going to stop us. I believe the argument that he was making is that what the, the run the Rays have been on lately, um, which is starting to look disturbingly like the 2013 Los Angeles Dodgers, is not simply a function of luck. It does seem to be a function of uh, the team gelling and, and playing the way it was intended to play. Right. At the same time, so much has to continue to go so well for them yeah. across a very difficult schedule. Their schedule is not all that much easier than ours is for them to claw their way back into contention. And here's the thing. If you're the Rays, you can't afford to sign David Price 
to the contract extension that he's going to want. It's just not going to happen. And his trade value will never be as high as it is right now. So if you're if you're the um, uh, who's the GM of the Tampa Bay Rays? I'm sorry, Andrew Friedman. If you're Andrew Friedman, aren't you hoping for a five game losing streak? Because you can't really dismantle this team right now. Like right now, where they are, you know, the, you can't really sell David Price at this at this precise moment, and you can't really go out and say, you know, I'm going to package Price and and Zobrist up for all of your farm system. Well, but if they were to lose five games, then suddenly that becomes a manageable thing. Well, see, that's an interesting question. If you look at the 13,000 Rays fans that exist, <laughs> those people are clearly still around because they like Rays baseball the way that it happens. <laughs> so you have to figure that They're those 13,000 fans would be okay with the move are at least as smart about this as we are, and probably way more. Right. And they know that David Price's trade value is not as high, is as high as it's ever going to be. They know that Andrew Friedman is in a position to ask for, in trades, better prospects than the Red Sox can ask for for Lester, than the Phillies can ask for for Hamels. He can ask for whatever he wants because David Price is younger, he's left-handed, and he's arguably a better pitcher than either of those guys, a more complete pitcher. So... If you're a Rays fan, the calculus you have to do for yourself right now is, do we keep David Price and prevent ourselves from acquiring a prospect windfall that could make us devastating for years to come? Even more devastating than we're already probably going to be, given the talent core that we have. Mm -hmm. Or do we hold on to David Price in hopes that we can go on this crazy historic run into the playoffs when we'll probably be eliminated pretty early on. I think that I think that you probably, if you're the Rays, you do have to sell. I just don't think it's tenable after you've won, you know, eleven of your last twelve. It's true, but what if you, if that David Price trade brings back Jock Peterson from the Dodgers, and all of a sudden you're looking at an outfield for the next five years in Tampa that has Will Myers and Jock Peterson in it? Nah, that's you a good You know what look. I mean? That's a good look. In, in a situation where you're like, yeah, we're within four, but we're also in fourth place. Yeah. So the other sort of name that's being bandied about all of a sudden as the Red Sox uh, really do sort of become sellers at the deadline is John Lester who is only I believe under contract for the end of this year free agent as uh, soon as the offseason bell rings so do you make as <laughs> the offseason bell do you make a Lester trade I do not make a Lester trade and I want to say preemptively I know that I have sat on these airwaves in the past and clamored for the Orioles to make a John Lester trade, including, and I think ultimately, given the way the historical record has played out, I would still have made the Chris Davis for John Lester trade yep. following the 2012 season. Yep, so I, it's rounding back into form, that trade. <laughs> and I never officially retracted it. Okay. I emotionally retracted it. <laughs> but then I edited that part out of the podcast. <laughs> Anyway, uh, selective editing. Do not go back to our archives, ladies and gentlemen. Do not go there. I mean, the the thing to me about John Lester right now is John Lester is also pitching as well as he ever has, maybe even better, because right now he is uh, getting strikeouts in a way that he hasn't for the last couple of years. Yeah. But the thing with John Lester is that every single day 
in the press, there's another article where John Lester says, I really would love to sign an extension in Boston. Then the next day, an article comes out that says, even if they trade me, I would still come, come back, back here on a long-term deal as soon in as the, the offseason. Right. And the thing is, even if that's a marketing ploy, yeah. that means that the number that you're going to have to give John Lester to beat out whatever loyalty number he's willing to give the Red Sox is definitely more money than he's worth. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Also, I just don't like him. <laughs> See, that's where I, I differ. I really like John Lester as a pitcher. I think his repertoire is nasty. Not talking about a pitcher. Oh, oh, oh. Just don't like him. As a dude. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I, there are certain things that have happened with my rooting interest. And, you know, I seem to have, I haven't really accepted Delman Young on my team, but I've sort of accepted uh, Nelson Cruz onto my team. I, I think that there are certain people, though, who have been either very visibly Yankees or very visibly Red Sox that I emotionally am not prepared to welcome with open arms. So what what is it in Lester's case, though? It's just his Red Soxness. It's <laughs> it's how badly he's beaten us so many times. I don't want him to become a a a ally. I want to continue to dislike him and I want him to lose. So this is your this is the narrative part of your personality creeping back in. Absolutely. Whereas Absolutely. Like, you want John Lester to continue to be an I enemy want, who's easy to despise. And I want him to stay on this team and I want to have him take his lumps and, you know, allow only 3 runs and still lose a bunch of games because I dislike him. So, as we mentioned already on this show, we're in this kind of weird place here where suddenly baseball prospectus gives us a 70% chance of making the playoffs. We're in despite, you know, probably losing half a game this evening to the Blue Jays. Um we're in the driver's seat still in the American League East. But at the same time, an interesting thing is happening within Orioles Nation where suddenly we are starting to accept, I think, emotionally that we are the front runners. Compare this to 2012 when the entire time until probably 30 seconds before the final out <laughs> getting us into the playoffs, we were sure that the other shoe was going to drop, right? We were sure that it was all going to go totally, totally wrong. Like th this, 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 this season feels different. Well, I think, I think there's a couple reasons for that. And I, I, for me as a fan, it's very strange. It's extremely weird. And it, it's not the feeling from 1997, say when we had legit, elite stars in the lineup and an amazing pitching staff right and it we should have been in that position for the whole year but it's also not the feeling of 2012 when it feels like hey we did we won another game how is hey we Whoa! did it again hey we did it. all of a sudden this thing is like you know it has its own momentum, momentum and there's and no way to stop it yeah this year i think this is a manifestly better team than it was in 2012 and 2013. Yeah. What what are the factors there? Manny Machado has established himself as an elite major league player. Uh, Nelson Cruz is a source of extreme power in the lineup, and it's not one-dimensional power. And I love you very much, Chris Davis, but Chris Davis didn't hit a lot of doubles 
and singles last year. Right. And if he hit the ball the other way, which he only really did in the first half of the season, it was going out of the ballpark. And Nelson Cruz does all of those things. Right. So it's not just you're either going to give up a home run to Nelson Cruz or he's not going to do Strike any damage. Um, Nick Markakis has been healthy all season and has been getting on base and being a spark plug and playing unbelievable defense in the outfield and this year it's not just about the making errors it's the assists it's uh it's the it's the it's the anticipation of fly balls it's the range it's everything it's the total package jones is if if we were not living in a world where mike trout was mike trout jones would be a legitimate mvp candidate absolutely absolutely jj hardy has been as good except for that weird period where he made all those errors he's been as good at a shortstop as you could, uh, as he has been for the last few years. Um, so all of those things have been there in the past, but we have added into it reliable starting pitching. Yep. And again, since June 1st, so this is two months now, uh, that we have had a stretch of very, very reliable starting pitching. And um, you combine that with a decimated set of lineups around the American League East and it almost feels it, it's surprising in the sense that we didn't think uh, we thought the AL East was going to be more competitive from a everybody playing at peak talent standpoint this year and not just sort of obstacles falling away. Right. But it's sort of undeniable that obstacles have fallen away. Yeah. And I think what's clear to us for the first time this year is that if we if we keep going the way we're going, we can get it. Hmm. Whereas in 2012, it was it seemed absurd to think that we could perpetuate uh, at the skill level we were playing at. In 2013, I think we always knew that we just weren't quite good enough to do it. The Red Sox were playing just a little bit too well. The Rays were playing just a little bit too well. The Yankees were playing just a little bit too well. And deep down, we knew that those teams didn't have the flaws that we needed them to have. But this year they do have the flaws, and this year we appear not to. Do you think that that's, that there is fundamentally, as a part of those those flaws in other teams, does it feel like a cheapening at all of the process? Do you want to win out in a competitive league where the American League East is just whooping up on everybody else and then battling itself and do you want to you know be the cream of that crop or is it okay to get in on an, on, a, on a year when it's fine they fall apart it's fine it's absolutely fine yep it's worked it's worked for the giants and the dodgers in the national league west for years it's worked for the cardinals in the nl central for years uh it's worked for oakland and uh, Anaheim in the American League West for the last few years. It's worked for Detroit in the Central for the last few years. I will take it. Yeah. I am okay with us only winning because the American League East is not as competitive this year. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, we're beating the best teams in baseball. Yeah, that's true. Six we, and four. <laughs> we're, we're doing a very, we're playing those teams very close. Two, we, if we get to the playoffs, uh, on a certain amount of luck from the American League East being weak this year, we get a chance to prove our mettle in the playoffs because then right. we have to play those teams that we're supposedly not as good as. Uh, three, I don't think this is a team that's built for like built for one last run. 
Right. This is a team that has the potential to be just as good as they are right now next year. That's true. And maybe past that point, depending on what happens, you know, with Weeders and with Davis and with... Don't look now, but Daryl Alvarez is hitting the tar off the ball in AAA. <laughs> well, let's not forget our boy Henry Urudia. <laughs> I've, I've never once forgotten our boy Henry Urudia. <laughs> not, not once in 103 episodes. <laughs> not a single time. I think we may have mentioned Henry Urudia in every episode of Baltimore Runs. <laughs> Um, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, um, I, yeah, I also feel, I mean, I asked the question, but I, I agree with you. And I also feel like anytime you beat the Red Sox, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me when that happens. Anytime you beat the Yankees, it doesn't matter to me who is putting on the pinstripes. It's just better to beat the Yankees. It's better to beat the Yankees. And the other thing is, you know, that if the Orioles do win the division, we are going to see no end of vitriol and commentary from Yankee and Red Sox fans all across the internet saying that we only did it because it was a weak year in the division. And, you know, how different is that from us saying that in the past they've only done it because of big free agent contracts? Or they've only done it because the Orioles were bad. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, if this is the year where we get to look down from the top of the division and say, yeah, that probably makes you feel better to say that, doesn't it? Fine. I've yep. never gotten to do that before. That's true. That's true. I, not never, but it's been a long time. It has been a while. It has been a while. Uh, speaking of the Yankees. Yes. Let's, let's check in momentarily uh, about the team that, as you mentioned in your introduction, continues to find ways to win and by all accounts is as active on the trade market as we are approaching the deadline. This team feels to me like a nightmare that I can't quite wake up from. <laughs> it just, it feels like I should be able to shed them and come fully awake and realize that nothing, in fact, bad is happening because it's not a good team. But all of a sudden, Chase Headley, who has been hitting 220 for the last two years, is hitting 380 with a home run. All of a sudden, Sean Green, who really, really is not a major league talent, who didn't make the Yankees out of spring training, even in the bullpen. And who isn't the Sean Green who hit 40 home runs for the Blue Jays in 1994, <laughs> or whenever that was, is, is pitching to like a 2-3 ERA. I, I don't understand it, and I feel like they're cheating. <laughs> I can't put my finger on why, but I feel like they're cheating. <laughs> Here's the thing. If they are going to be buyers at the trade deadline, and it seems like they are, and it seems like they're going to go out and get one of these people who may be available and maybe pay too much for a John Lester or a Hamels, not, sorry, or a Lee, someone like that, doesn't that feel like they're just taking on more weight? I mean, it doesn't does. it feel like at some point, I know we've been saying this for two years, but at some point, Tanaka plus A-Rod, plus McCann, plus um, Ellsbury, plus... Sabathia. Sabathia. Beltron. Of the people we just listed, only two of those people are suiting up regularly. And, <laughs> and we didn't even those, mention Teixeira. Right, and Teixeira. One of those, Jacoby Ellsbury, is one, you know, sprinted ground ball away from missing three weeks at a time, as he's done many times before. It just feels like, at some point... 
even the Yankees cannot continue this economic calculus. <laughs> they can't continue to pay so much money for people who are not on the field. Well, I think I hope I think we're as as well as they have been doing. I I am going to cling to this thing that I think we're I think we are actually witnessing that this year. Yeah, I don't. I just don't think it's possible for them to continue at the pace that they're on right now because we have all seen the Sean Greens of the world go on five to seven start runs where they're pretty competent and you know they're playing teams that they match up well against and uh, enough guys in the lineup are on a hot streak that they can put it together. But I am. I do. We, we do have to remember that the Yankees just played the Rangers and the Red Sox, who are the two other worst teams in baseball. Exactly. Exactly. And the thing is. Even if they are, if they do fancy themselves buyers at the deadline, for one thing, if you talk about Cliff Lee, the Yankees are on Cliff Lee's no trade list. So ah. Cliff Lee doesn't have to come to New York if he doesn't want to. And it really doesn't matter how much of that salary the Yankees want to take on. Uh, Cole Hamels, I believe the Yankees are also on his list. Um, but you look at both of those guys. One, if I'm Cliff Lee and I'm Cole Hamels, why am I waving my no trade clause to go to that team with all the liabilities that we've just listed out and that says not nothing of, not going to happen and that says nothing of the fact that if i'm the phillies i am much more excited by the dodgers farm system i'm much more excited by the red sox farm system i'm much more excited by uh any a number <laughs> Literally of teams any other by the system. st louis farm system yeah. Way before I'm excited by the Yankees farm system. It's another it's another space where I feel as though the Yankees have gotten away with smoke and mirrors for enough years that eventually that has to come home to roost. I mean, they have been talking up Yankees prospects for as long as I've followed baseball. And then they've traded these like can't miss Yankees the next Derek Jeter, the next Jose, uh, the next Jorge Posada, the next Mariano Rivera, and then they've gone to places and they've crapped out. And I don't know what the Yankees are doing, but it does not seem like they have very good talent scouts right now. They're not drafting well. They're not getting people into their their system that are coming up well. And right now, that uh, that it's just barren over there. It is, and they, and it's not as though they don't have trade chips. I think Brett Gardner would fit in real well on a lot of National League teams. Yeah, uh, I think that that's a guy who would probably be pretty appealing to a lot of people, but they can't trade Brett Gardner. Nope, that they guy signed that man fifty million dollars. I think he has more home runs than anyone else in their starting lineup. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> I, someone should check me on that, but I I think that may be a true thing. Oof. <laughs> well, the last issue that we need to touch on before the trade deadline happens is uh, a little bit of a niche issue here. But one that I think is really important, especially given our uh, our focus on this podcast and eff effectively around the Baltimore Sports Report Network on how new media is uh, moving into the baseball world. Because under the radar, Major League Baseball and MLB.com has come out for net neutrality, which is a pretty interesting thing. They've written a, a, a fairly scathing letter to the FCC urging them to support an open internet, uh, which puts them alongside other corporate entities like Netflix in so doing because they see, I think as any corporate entity would, that the cost to them of a two-tiered internet system 
where ISPs can uh, choke off high bandwidth things would really put a hurtin' on their streaming services. And MLB, for whatever else they're doing that we don't always love, has done a very good job of making games available to be streamed through the internet wherever you are and whenever you are. And I think it's very interesting that they've thrown their weight behind a net neutrality situation, which previously has been the purview of, of, of tinfoil hat-wearing internet weirdos uh, and not particularly a large corporate interests most of the time. You know what this makes me wonder, Alan, and obviously I'm very excited about this too, um, and if, if this was a traditional Baltimore on's franchise report, I would give this a home run, Yeah, uh, which I don't give out too frequently. That's true. Um, First of all, it's baseball related, which is just... <laughs> well, that's the main reason. <laughs> um, it makes the, the question it makes me wonder is if, as was stated in the article today, Major League Baseball Advanced Media sent this letter to the FCC with not being accompanied by a press release whatsoever. Right. It was not something where they're trying to rally public support nope. for their stance. They're it's, trying to keep it under the wraps. They're trying to keep it under wraps, which I understand because Major League Baseball Advanced Media does not want to be perceived as a left-wing... Wild-eyed uh, liberal. <laughs> ...progressive banner-waving organization. But this is going to be a hit to their bottom line just as much as it is Netflix, just as much as it is uh, ESPN, any of these other media companies. It makes me wonder how many other Major League Baseball advanced medias are there? How many other giant multi-hundreds-of-million-dollar revenue-generating corporate entities have written these under the radar letters to the FCC saying, you guys, this is absolute cock show right here. Like you cannot fit. You cannot expect us to continue generating the amount of, uh, I hesitate to use the phrase trickle down, uh, revenue throughout the online streaming ecosystem that we do. If you create an internet fast lane and an internet slow lane, and I almost wonder if there, there, this could be an indication that there's a groundswell of support from normally uh, perceived as evil media companies lining up against the FCC to say, this is, this is a bridge too far. Well, I think it's particularly interesting that we suddenly find ourselves as independent podcasters in the same boat for at least this weird moment with MLB Advanced Media. Because... There, the, 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 the thing that I find really interesting about the whole net neutrality discussion is it's never broken down, or it has yet to break down, perhaps is what I should say. It has yet to break down along the lines of um, large corporate entities and small independents. Because the fact that Netflix and MLB are against a tiered internet system says to me that there's no way that the tiered system was going to play out how I first thought it was going to play out, which would be large corporate entities have the ability to pay, so they go in the fast lane. People like us don't have the ability to play pay, so we are totally slow-laned and never have <laughs> bandwidth ability again. Yeah, because and we ultimately can't, disappear. We can't pony up and ultimately disappear. But I think it's interesting that the large corporate entities would rather have everybody equal and thus allow a bunch of these piddling podcasts, which previously they've had no problem kicking around, to exist. They don't want to pay that extra thing. If, if you think about like 
What happens when a Walmart moves into a new part of town? What they do is they drop their prices till they push out all the mom and pop sort of things and then they raise their prices again. That's sort of standard fare for a large chain to move into an area. It's what Amazon did to publishing with the Kindle. Absolutely. And it's interesting to me that some of these large providers aren't playing that game. What I would think they would do is I would think they would welcome this, they'd accept it for a period of time until it became such a clear thing where it's like fast lane or no one uses it. And most of the users are only in the fast lane because they weren't willing to deal with slower speeds because frankly, we're all, we as Americans are not particularly patient people (laughs) that I would imagine that they would be okay with paying that extra money and then just handing handing the, the costs down to the consumer, which they've been fine with in the past. Yet that doesn't seem to be what they're doing. And I'm interested, like it must be such a difference Revenue wise, it must be such a potential boon to give to the ISPs that they felt the need to stand up against it. Well, I think you may have just answered your own question, and I wouldn't have thought of this until you said it. But in listening to the the question you've just asked, it, it made me realize that I think the problem is um, that a place like let's use MLB Advanced Media uh, right now, they can charge whatever they want for MLB TV. Right. When I first started paying for MLB TV, it was $99.99 for the year. Then the next year, it was magically $110. This year, I think it was $125. What have I done every year? I've just paid it. Right. Because I have to if I want what they have to give me. Right. And it's they a could fully cornered market. They could charge whatever they wanted for it, and I would have to pay it. Right. So Which is they interesting. Ha- so if, 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 if next year they dumped it up to 150 because, oh, no, we have to do this because we, you know, we're passing on the costs of these evil ISPs to you, the user. Yeah, they've lost leverage. They've lost leverage to, to I guess, push me around as a loyal customer and decide what the value of their product is. And the ability to decide what the value of your product is, is, I think, in capitalism, a pretty treasured thing. Sure. Um, and what creating an internet fast lane would do is take that ability away from all of these media companies and allow just the ISPs to make those calls. And I think just from a purely cold-blooded capitalist perspective, that's not a thing that you can let happen. And if it means that they're having to cast their lot in with us raggedy-looking living room radio show types, then I think they'll take it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, uh, we thank you very much for tuning in to episode 103 of Baltimoreans. We've had a very, very fine time uh, discussing all these issues with you. We do have uh, one, one final point of business here that we wanted to get to, don't we, Alan Smith? We do indeed. Um, we, probably like MLBTradeRumors.com, are going to take a week off next week, let our typewriters and Bloviotron 3000 machine cool down. Uh, because I, Alan Smith, will be uh, off in northern New York with 100 college students trying to keep these kids in line and will not have the ability to uh, podcast next week. So we will be back with you in two weeks' time to catch up and see what happened while we were gone. But we do have one more announcement we would like to make. Um, Due to our ongoing fear of the Orioles playing on Sunday and the fact that that's a terrifying game to watch, we're not going to be calling our next live broadcast of a game on Sunday, but we are going to call it on a Monday, um, specifically Monday the 18th, 
where it will be a game against the White Sox of Chicago in Chicago. So your two options of listening to that game are either Baltimore on's live call or the White Sox, what's his name? Hawk, Hawk Harrelson. Or you can tune in and hear Hawk Harrelson just just mangle a baseball game. <laughs> just chew it up and spit it out. That's right, folks. August 18th, mark your calendars, 8, 10 p.m. The next Baltimore on's live broadcast, the best one yet. Because sure. we're going to have several weeks to get ready for it. <laughs> so, uh, in the meantime, we would love to hear from you. We would love to chat with you on the internet. Our Twitter account is at BMorons. And if you miss us next week, you should consider checking out the stylings of our sister wife podcasts on the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find all of them at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. Now, Alan Smith... Uh, We've asked a lot of difficult questions tonight, and there's just one more that I'd like to to pose to you before we go. Okay. What would you call our favorite baseball player, Henry Rudia, uh-huh. if he was singing the song Bare Necessities? Oh. Would that be Henry Balu Rudia? That is correct. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>